Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the Manchester United game and preview of the Liverpool game. I'm John McKenzie, the misplaced Rodrigo Cross of the podcast, and I'm here with the Rafinha back post sliding tapping of the podcast, Josh Hobbs. Josh, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, mate. I had my first proper watch <laughs> of yesterday's game this morning, having having not been around to see the first, like, I don't know, hour yesterday. I basically turned it on, got in from a, a birthday thing. To see that we were 2-2. Carnage, wasn't it? But having seen it all properly, it feels less painful in terms of the game than it felt on the opening day of the season, where that was like a brutal game. And this felt like, well, you know, we've competed. But I I feel more concerned about overall issues. If you go back to like the first game of the season, you're like, ah, you know, we've been battered by Man United and that's painful. But at least... We're going to be fine this season, whereas I still think we are going to be fine. But there's lots of things that can go wrong and we don't have a lot of time to make ourselves safe. Yeah, there's plenty for us to get into on this podcast. Yeah, apologies about my voice. I was at uh, a wedding yesterday. Um, Congrats to Callum Archibald, listener of this podcast for his wedding. It was great to get down there. But yeah, the experience of being in a place with loud music and having to shout to talk to people has battered my vocal cords, so I apologise for that. It's been three years, I think, since I went to a wedding, so <laughs> really, really out of practice for that. But congratulations to him. As we've mentioned, this is a double-header episode, so we'll be reviewing both the Manchester United home game and previewing Liverpool away. So we'll kick off with a pared-back version of our uh, review podcast. So uh, I usually call this section the interrogation, uh, but when there's only one other person on the podcast, it that feels a little too combative, so... We'll call it the conversation, but um, what I'll do is we'll have a conversation based around five questions about the game yesterday and see where we end up. So um, you've already touched on this a little bit, Josh, but the first question I've got is, it was a bit of an odd game. What did you make of the game from a bird's eye point of view? Yeah, I think decent start. Like, I think we were we were in the game. I think the midfield structure helped, like having having Koch and then Click and Forshaw as a three, I think that that gave us ability to compete. Um, we were looked like we were trying to get just get James in behind where we could. Um, 
and trying to um yeah compete with them in the middle and then spring quickly and that led to good uh good chance for Harrison and I sort of felt like we were we were in it and then I think the head injury uh to Cock uh did have an impact although I don't think Strauch played badly when he went there I think just moving players around always just brings a, a degree of chaos and then I think that may have had an effect to like who was marking who when it then came to the corner which they took the lead from even so I felt frustrated that it was 2-0 at half time because it just annoys me that when we concede one goal in the first half we can't just be like right let's settle again go in at half time 1-0 and come back out second half and, and get sort of back into this game so to concede a second goal that's painful but then obviously I think the way we started the second half is what everyone wanted to see happen with those subs and um and then two crazy goals like right back into it um and we're fighting and looking like maybe we might we might nick a win um and then instead we give away another two disappointing goals. So it's it's frustrating because it feels like if we'd battled back to get a point there, that, that feels like it really does something mentally for our season. Um, whereas instead, it's like if you said to me you'll lose by two goals, uh, that probably would have been like what I was expecting to happen. Whereas now it feels like, well, it, it didn't have to be that way, like having actually watched it. Yeah, let's move on to the second question then, because I think it sort of runs on quite nicely from the first. It's another one of those games which we seem to have where the general consensus amongst the fan base seems to be that Leeds played fairly well, all things considered. And Bielsa seems to have agreed with this, putting the difference down to finishing efficiency on Manchester United's part. Do you agree with his assessment on that? I, like, I don't want to say that I think we played badly, because I think we played, as I said, I think we competed and we get like we gave them a proper game this time instead of a like a, a walkover but it's still so easy to score against us that I feel like when he says the like their finishing efficiency was was better well they had much bigger individual chances like the um we did not have a chance apart from the Rafinha goal where it's a, a five-yard tap-in there's there's the Dan James header which he just sort of doesn't really connect with. And even though like that's that is our, our other big chance, I still think that is a difficult chance. A diving header is never an easy goal to score. Um whereas they had the Fred goal, they had the Sancho chance, which is exactly like the Fred goal, just five minutes before it. They had the Alanga chance where he just sort of dribbled it straight at, at Melier. Um and then they both their goals in the first half are big chances. The Ronaldo chance from like three yards. Like we don't, we didn't have chances like that. So I think, I, I don't think you can say we missed chances like that. We had click shooting from like just beyond the penalty spot, left foot, like daisy cutter to keeper. Gelhart won where he shot and De Gea saved it. I think that's a decent chance for Joffy but also it's not one where I'm like oh he sh- he has to score that it's like if he absolutely smacks the covers off it it, it might go in but most of the time De Gea is going to save it so for me it's they clearly had better chances we competed well but it's it's not that it came down to finishing efficiency it's that the way we play allowed them to have way bigger chances that than we did 
Yeah, I think there's something that I've sort of started getting frustrated by this idea that as long as you're generating chances, we can be pleased with the performance. Because I feel as though that attitude has just got us into the situation where we're losing games 4-2. And I saw a lot of people yesterday saying, oh, you know, I thought we were going to get battered, so I'm quite happy with a 4-2 result. And I kind of think, well, a 4-2 result like, on paper is not it's not a great result. So I, I wonder whether or not this... Uh, it, there does seem to be this acceptance that we are going to generate chances, but also a, a sort of brushing over the fact that we're just giving away huge chances at the opposite end. And, and I think more needs to be said about the fact that one's attacking play and one's defensive play are linked in, in some way. So we, we obviously play with a, a fairly gung-ho attitude to going forward, but that leads to us being open at the back as well. So what's your thoughts on that? I don't feel that it's beneficial to us at this point in time. I think last season, chaos ball was like playing into our hands partly because we had a we had a striker who was taking a good number of of the chances um now that we don't have that focal point for it i do think that it's a big part of of playing that way that is compromised if if you can't take your chances playing like that uh then you're ultimately going to die die by it because um yeah, it's not and like when I say you can't take your chances, that it doesn't. That sort of sounds like I'm then going back to like agreeing what Bielsa said. But what I, what I think that is is it's not like um, there's loads of sitters that we've missed, but you have to actually be like literally clinical, which we were in the second half of last season. We were winning games by uh, that were tight in terms of xG. We were winning them like three nil or things like that. And we're not doing that. Like if you go to the, um, for example, the Burnley game away last season, that's actually a way tighter game by chance quality than it ended up. Like late on, we got those big Rodrigo chances, but that came after we went 2-0 up and then it's like game state and we and we go on to win that convincingly. But we're just not putting ourselves in those situations anymore. And we were never likely to against Man United. Yeah, we had a question from James Mantella who said, is the saying Leeds United are hard to play against a lie scorelines would suggest otherwise? And I guess that's sort of the crux of this question is that, okay, you may concede chances against Leeds, but you can almost be guaranteed that you're going to generate better chances, right? I think it's true uh, from a physical standpoint. I think playing against us is probably physically like the biggest challenge. Um, but yeah, you, you, you do know that you will get probably your biggest chances in a fairly easy fashion uh and i think um i think playing the way that we're playing at the moment will always give us a chance against any team like i don't think we probably would have even though the the first goal is a cross i don't think we come back into that game without without playing in that way but it's then like would well, do you just keep now that you've come into the game do you keep playing that way or do you be like okay now we're now let's reset kind of situation. What we're seeing this season is that against the bigger sides who are going to come out against us anyway and, and try and generate chances and not worry too much about us generating chances, we, we're looking okay. It's against the teams towards the bottom end of the table who aren't coming out against us and we're not generating chances against them either. So it, it feels very much to me this season that we've looked okay against some of the bigger sides because we, they've been fairly open at the back. But whenever anyone in the bottom half of the table is ha happy to sit deeper against us, we just don't generate anything anyway. So it almost feels as though what's the point of being attacking 
against the big sides and, and losing anyway, and then not being able to generate anything against the smaller sides too. When and then to to because I agree with that, but then to flip that as well, you can look at Aston Villa, who have since playing us, played Newcastle and um and Watford and not scored a goal, but they scored three really easily against us. Um, and yes, we scored three against them, um, and we haven't scored since. But in the way that we played, we opened ourselves up to them, and they, and they've not looked good going forward since playing us. So it's like that we, yeah, it is that thing of you live by the sword, you die by the sword in this particular way, or you live by Bielsa, you die by Bielsa. And I think right now we are we are dying by by Bielsa because we're because we're not getting. The upside from it. If we were getting the upside from it, it's it's easier to be like, okay, is this the way it is? And we just commit to this philosophy, and uh, we can take the fact that we'll lose against the bad, t- the big teams, um, because we'll always thrash the bottom teams. And then every now and again, we'll 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 catch one of these big teams out, um, and that makes it fun and worthwhile. But when it that isn't happening and you're you're just sort of scaving results against good teams I'm sorry bad teams but also losing more often against them and getting beaten by the big teams it's just not there let's move on what did you make of the benching of Rafinha we had a question from Leeds 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 who asked how do you start your best player on the bench while you're currently in talks or should be in talks to get him to stay yeah I had a emotional reaction first of all of like can't believe you'd bench Rafinha then when I thought about it a bit more I thought that the lineup actually made a bit of sense because I've been saying in the past it I'd love for Bielsa to be a bit more like situational into in terms of what he chooses uh, with the 11 so like tailor the 11 to who you're playing against and yes of course like there's an argument of well whatever it is you never bench Rafinha because he's your best attacking player but if his reasoning was I want to be I want to be aware of the danger of um of fullbacks and uh from Man United and I don't want like I know Rafinha can can sort of let a man go and I feel like what I get from James and Harrison in this particular occasion will work best and then they they can spring on counters without necessarily costing us defensively I can understand that I don't know whether it was that like it might have been it might have been like um to do with a a strop post Everton or he obviously hasn't said I don't know but I, I didn't mind it but ultimately I think overall like the way our team is I think we we need Rafinha to play all the time but it is a, a coach's prerogative if he wants to make a, a tactical tweak because he thinks this player suits better on a particular day. And in terms of the the uh, I guess the contractual side of that, what do you do? You worry about things like this, or do you just think that it will be brushed off and won't affect the the longer term future of Rafinha at Leeds? Mm, I mean, I I don't suppose he'd be very happy about it, but I equally I I probably don't expect that to happen for the next game, like. I'd be surprised if he's not starting on on Wednesday night. Um, if it becomes a bit more of a thing, then yeah, there's trouble ahead. But if it's a one-off, it is what it is. We had quite a few questions about the cock injury solution. So, for example, 
Kevin asked, why, when Cock went off with injury, did Dallas not move into midfield and Forshaw dropped to Cock's spot? Instead of moving Ailey to centre-back, Dallas to right-back and Pascal to, to defensive midfield. And we had a lot of people asking, or, and have done actually in the last few weeks, about moving Dallas back into midfield because that seemed to work last season in the same situation. I wondered if you were, one, happy with the switch that happened yesterday and, two, whether or not you would like to see Dallas being used in midfield more. I think there... You could have done it because it probably involves less switching overall. Um, I'm never a huge fan of putting Ailing at centre back in a two in the in the first place. Not that I think he, it was any of the goals were necessarily like his fault particularly. Um, but yeah, I, I I feel I think the thing for me is I just wish we had a like for like, but so we don't have to move any players around. Um, but the fact is, we were all we were already without Phillips, so Koch was our is our like first choice when Phillips is not there. So when he's also not able to play in that role, there's no one else to put there without moving players around. Obviously, second half he did put Forshaw there. Um, I think maybe I would have preferred to have seen Forshaw with um, with Dallas and, and Click, um, but. I don't know if it was that particular, like the makeup of that caused us problems. I think it was more just players moving around causes us problems in general, rather than which player moved and where. Yeah, there was an interesting uh, screenshot going around showing an angle of the game when, I think it must have been for the second goal when Victor Lindelof was going on walkabouts. Yeah, it was. It's because Ronaldo's pulled up like in onto halfway that's what yeah yeah and um you can see adam for sure is marking more zonally and is happy to let paul bogba his marking responsibility drift off because he recognizes that a marauding center back is a problem we talked about this at length last season the 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 zonal role that that dallas played last last season what what's your general thoughts on on the the, the, the on the more zonal approach because obviously there is still a man marking element with even with one of your midfielders maybe Staying a little more, little bit more central and happy to uh, allow players to drift out wide rather than um, get pulled out of that middle. So, do you think that that is something that would solve these problems, or is it? Do you think that's something that actually is happening this season? It's just not working as well. I don't. I think that's the first time in that image. That's the first time where I've kind of seen that's happening this season. I don't know whether that's. Um, I don't know whether that's just for sure. Just sees danger and leaves his man. I, I kind of feel like it's that rather than it's what he was told to do because we didn't see that happen at other times and there were other times where Lindelof ran forwards and another a time or two where Maguire ran forwards as well and it you didn't see Forshaw like trying to stop that from happening. I just think it happened there. Even then, I think he was a bit slow to it because he didn't get anywhere near stopping him really. Um, it just needed a, a quick one-two and he was taken out of the game. Um and then, uh, yeah, I, I just all I can do is say what say what I've said before on this was just I'm just completely done with with man marking because it is in the same way that uh, the first Jacob Ramsey goal uh, the other the other week was you saw Coutinho pull into the center of the pitch and Ramsey run into the the space that Coutinho's just left. And then we're scrambling to cover it. We can't catch him up. That's what happened here. You, oh, Lindelof carried the ball forwards, but Ronaldo pulled to halfway aw- away from uh, the centre. Llorente comes 
out of centre-back to follow him. And Fernandez just runs into that space and then he gets a free header in the in the penalty box. And Irente realises, oh, he's running there. He tries to catch that up. He's nowhere near to catching him up. Ailing can't adjust to that either. And it's just, it's so easy to mess up man-marking now. Like, they're a good team and able to do it, but there are other worse teams that, that have figured out, well, this is actually really easy to mess this up. And I suppose this brings us on to the fifth question, which is with Leeds managing to get back into the game, what did you make of the game management from that point onwards? It's something you've touched on already, but maybe maybe if we focus this a little bit more practically in terms of like what you would like to see us do in those situations. Yeah. So once it's 2-2, I get that like immediately afterwards, we're still pushing because it's like they're rocking a bit like, uh, and then Joffy did have that shot that, that got saved and, I think it's the right thing for that sort of five minutes afterwards to to like try and like can we actually even get it to three two here? But I think after it's sort of like ten minutes after that, it's like at, at that point, I think it's you need to think: does playing in this way actually benefit us at this point in time, or or are we just going to invite them to have other big chances again? Especially as Sancho had that chance, as I mentioned. Um, I think you could then be like, right, let's manage the game for 10 minutes. Let's take the sting out of it for a bit. We can actually frustrate them a bit. They're, at, they're not as good a team at scoring against uh, against a team that's not inviting them to create chances by playing open. Um, so if we either hold the ball a bit or have a bit of a block, which let's be fair, I know that's not going to happen under Bielsa because he doesn't play that way. But if it were me, I'd want to have have a bit of a block without the ball. Then you then think, okay, in the last ten minutes, perhaps we can like we go for it again, or or we'll look for we'll pick our moments to break. Whereas what we were trying to do was just run forward, run forwards, run forwards, run forwards. Junior is knackered, and then he loses the ball, and he just literally can't get back after that. And I, like originally, and I put this on Twitter, I sort of put a bit of a blame on. Uh, on Strauch for for playing that to Junior when when I didn't think that he should have. Having watched it again, I, I don't necessarily think that's what happened. But I do think as a as a sort of team philosophy, we could just know when to pick our moments to dial it down and when to speed it back up instead of playing at a hundred miles an hour at all times. Yeah, it was interesting. I thought that in the the last ten minutes, Manchester United changed things up by bringing off. Ronaldo and dropping Varane in, going to about three basically and um, just getting players on further forward who could just possess the ball and uh, in the last I think the last 15 minutes of the game they were just able to keep the ball in advanced areas and not worry too much about turning it over and um, I just feel as though we don't really have the ability to do that the the only places we're able to really possess the ball for any length of time is usually the back line when we're trying to build up um, which I, I, I think is it, it is a possibility but I do also think that Manchester United did they did sort of attempt to press us high and, and destabilise us a little bit at the back as well. But uh, I do think it's a really tricky thing when your whole structure is built around transitioning at, at speed in wide areas to not to then control the game. It's just a really hard hard thing to do when you're not set that way. Yeah, yeah, we 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 aren't set up for it. I I do agree with that, and and we don't have enough player profiles that are that are good at holding the ball like in our. Beyond our back four, 
there's only really four sure who you think he's someone that could just put a foot on it, slow it down, be just comfortable with the ball at his feet and knocking it about. We don't have those other players, and that is um, that is a challenge if you want to try and go like that. But then I also think there, like we could still have tried to counter, but we also we could have also frustrated them a little bit. I, th- I think. And at no point did we look like we might think, well, we'll frustrate them and, and then and then take a take a win on the counter. And if we don't, then we've got a point. And I know it, as Leeds fans, like against Man United, you've come back from two from two nil down. It's like let's go for the win, like it'd be huge. But let, in our current situation, a point against Man United having been two nil down would also have been huge because of where we are in the table and our run and. I just think mentally a point would have been a big thing and instead it's another disappointment. I, I do agree with you in terms of being maybe smarter in terms of game management. I, I think one of the issues with having a system which I think is maybe a little bit too over-engineered in terms of Bielsa sort of running automations and running rotations and interchanges and routes that you expect the, the players to play in, it does remove a little bit of the of the ability of players I think at times to just think carefully through what's going on in the game and what they could do with it because I think even if you're not going to be able to possess the ball there's situations where it's not bad to just go along and get rid of the ball allow your team to to relax a little bit and you mentioned there the the junior inability to sort of track his runner back yeah he he looked knackered he he could not get near and I think the 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 team teammates have to be aware of those sorts of situations mm. and think right has this teammate just run the length of the pitch and back is is it going to be better for me actually here to just try and play for territory and just play the ball either down the line or out for a throw as far down the pitch as you can get it um and i don't think that we we make we, we're not smart in those ways i don't think uh, at times the only the only thing that we can do in those situations as you said is think right how can we launch another counter-attack how can we launch another counter-attack and um yeah, I think we're starting to see the system sort of overloaded by players who are increasingly getting injured and stuff. And, and there has to be a realisation that maybe we can't play in that way 100 miles an hour all the time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I think that brings us to the end of the review section. So let's move on to 
talk a little bit about the Liverpool game. So we don't have an interview for this preview episode because we've already interviewed John O'Sullivan in a previous episode. This was a game that was due to be played just before Christmas. If you want to have a listen to that interview, you, you can get it on our free-to-listen feed. Um, so just check back through the the, um, the RSS feed of, of the podcast and you'll find that uh, just before Christmas. We put out an, an Aston Villa and Liverpool preview and the interview is on there. But we're just going to jump in and talk a little bit about, about the game from our end. So uh, we know that Liverpool play in their 4-3-3. Because Liverpool play with a, a 6 with two 8s in front of it, it means that Leeds are going to be something closer to a 4-2-3-1, um, which I guess is interesting. Um, so that's the general structural setup. In terms of the, the the lineup, the big question, I guess, flows from what we've been talking about a little bit in the re- review of the Manchester United game, which is how do you deal with the loss of Robin Cock? So... Assuming that Robin Cock is out on Wednesday, I think he is based on what was been said today. Yeah, and it was a weird one, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, weird. They, they released a statement that said that he. What, do you want to summarize that? Well, I think they said we didn't think like he passed the concussion test at the time, but then minutes later he he felt not that he wasn't okay. But then we subbed him as not a concussion sub, so it's it's very confusing. But I think now he has to be out. I guess what's happened there is that he's passed the test and they've said to him, if you feel any symptoms, you sit down on the pitch and and get sorted out. And that's what's happened. But I suppose that what they're thinking is that if they use him as a concussion sub, it means he's definitely not able to play in the next few games. And because we're not inundated with a massive bench, they probably thought, well, we might as well just make a normal sub and give ourselves the option of him potentially being okay to play on Wednesday. Um, I don't know if that is what happened. but Yeah, who knows? I'm pretty sure he'll be out now, though. I don't know if that's 100%. He didn't look but... in a good way when he came off, put yeah. it that way. So yeah, what's your take on this? How do you, how do we solve that that cock injury problem? Because we have the time now to think about it and not just go for the, the option that we went for necessarily. Well, I guess there's a few different ones. So the one I see most likely to happen is Forshaw plays there. Dallas plays where Forshaw was playing. Uh, or or you can still have Forshaw and then you've got Click and, and Rodrigo. Um those are those are some options. However, you could keep Forshaw where he was, move Strauch, and then play. Do what Bielsa did, moving Dallas to right back, and then you've got you've got Yorente and Ailing as centre backs. I don't think I'd want that pair. You could also have Cresswell at the back. Like that, I think there's a lot of things that you could do. Like it's just all which player do you pick, really, isn't it? It's I don't think it necessarily like. Um, changes anything in terms of the mechanics. I, I think I'd go for sure. Yeah, in terms of how you would solve the problem, I, I guess, would you start off by looking at the midfield and saying, what's the best midfield I can get out of this and then fit everyone else around that? Or would you or use the defence, I guess, as the most important? I think I wouldn't want to... Uh, I wouldn't want to be playing like ailing at centre-back against, against Liverpool. Um, I think I'd want... Although I think... Yorente was a disaster against against my United. I would go him and Strauch as as the back the two, and then I'd have and yeah, and then I think I would have the 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 normal fullbacks of of Ailing and Junior, and then it's you then figure out what you want to do there. I think then it's like, do you want to have Forshaw and Dallas, or do you want to have Forshaw and uh, Forshaw and Click, or like because if you won't go Forshaw and Click, then you're you're gonna have Dallas maybe at left back, but then you've got a two of Click and Rodrigo it, it, with 
for sure. And, and I don't think that's necessarily what you want. That's not what I would want. Given that they're obviously playing with two advanced eights, you probably want you probably want Forshaw and Dallas. Yeah, I think I would go Dallas here. I felt that Click played well um, yesterday, although you just so often he's the one that the shots fall to in the box that he just doesn't get a good connection on anymore. But still, I, I think I'd want to go. I think I'd want to go Forshaw Dallas Click if I could. But I imagine it will be Forshaw Dallas Rodrigo. Yeah, and we've already uh, mentioned Llorente. Obviously, he was hooked at half-time versus Manchester United. Do you think that will change anything versus Liverpool, Jai? Do you think there's a possibility that he won't play? I'm not sure whether that was the change because Bielsa felt that if you play Ailing there, he's like starting attacks from, from centre-back and carrying it out. And that that's just what we needed because we were 2-0 down. Or whether it was like, right, I'm sick of the crap holding <laughs> corners or and, and you'd you got caught out with this second goal. I doubt it was that, to be honest. I think it would have been that he felt that Ailing would help us start attacks from from the centre. Um, but I, I fully expect Diego to start. In terms of elsewhere, I suppose you've already said in the review section of the Manchester United game that you expect Rafinha to be back in. Yeah, I think so. Uh, which then means a choice about about the rest of the forward line. So whether we go back to Rafinha James Harrison or whether we go that Harrison got subbed at half time so and James I think a good amount of us felt that he played well on the left I personally thought it was good on the left and that that assist that he got was one of the best things he's, he's done for us um I like that thing that he does where he squares a player up pulls it across his body with his right and then he's just got a short burst I mean that time I didn't think he even don't think he even did burst. He just shifted it to his left and and crossed it. Um, so I think I would personally go Rafinha, James, and Gelhart up front. So that's one option, but maybe it will be James up front. Yeah, I guess the the, the big question is going to be like, who does Bielsa drop because it does feel weirdly, despite the fact that we've got injury issues, that he's going to have to drop one of his favourites. Right? If Rodrigo isn't being played in the midfield, which he could be, I suppose he is not going to be playing you would have thought unless he, he he's he's played up front but as, we, as we've we've not really seen that much this season and then you've got the issue of like how do you get James and Harrison both on and as you've suggested like Bielsa is probably going to go James over Harrison if that's the issue on the left uh, and then Joffe has been sometimes played sometimes not um, so I guess anything anything could really happen here but in terms of who do you think who you think Bielsa will will probably drop out of well what's the list James Harrison Rodrigo and Joffe and Dallas even like who do you think is, is, is the most likely to be dropped out of those my instinct is that the two that don't play it will I think Click and Joffe will be on the bench but I would have them both in, but that's, I think that it will be. I think it will be Rodrigo as the attacking midfielder, Rafinha and Harrison on the wings and, and James up front. Obviously, that worked well away at Villa uh, in an attacking sense. So maybe he will think that that gives us the, the puncher's chance at, at Anfield. But yeah, I, I would always prefer to have Joffe myself. So in terms of like what we expect then, uh, I've got... Melier in goal, a back line of Junior, Strauch, Urente and Ailing, Forshaw and Dallas as a sort of double pivot-ish, uh, although obviously there won't be a double pivot in possession. And then Harrison 
and Rafinha either side of Rodrigo behind James as the striker, with the caveat that there's plenty of other things that could happen in this situation. But let's move on to talk a little bit about the tactical questions then. So in terms of bigger picture, how do you think Liverpool will be approaching this one as a fixture? There's obviously a lot going on in their season. Seems as though they're really gunning for the league this this season and uh, they've been given a bit of a lifeline in City losing to Spurs again. So this is a, a game in hand for them, which if they win, I think they're three points off the top with a game against Manchester City to come. So, yeah, how are you viewing this in terms of the bigger picture? Do you think this this is going to be an important game for them, right? I think so. So it's within the context of they've just played a midweek Champions League fixture against Inter, they've got one next week and they've got the Carabao Cup final on the weekend. So they've got a bunch of important fixtures all happening at the same time. But they seem like a team full of confidence. They're on one of their best runs of the whole season. And I think they're a team that wants to win every game anyway. But I think, you know, they've got this extra incentive to win this, to to really put some pressure on City. So I, I feel they'll they'll go like strong squad. Hopefully, if it was me, I would think go strong, like put leads away in the first half and then... And then rest some players because I think Klopp respects us even though they got a a pretty easy win against us at at Ellen Road last season he knows we caused them big problems um so I think I think he respects the way that we play and I don't think he will be thinking oh this is a game to put like Oxlade Chamberlain in and uh and Simicass and I, I I don't think he'll do that like he did against Norwich in terms of a lineup, then you're expecting Liverpool to be fairly strong. Uh, I guess the 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 options that where they probably may change up is in the midfield, and then there's possibly like you could bring in Luis Diaz if you wanted to, right? Yeah, I mean, in the midfield, I predict him to play Thiago against us again because Thiago just absolutely like killed us at, at Ellen Road. Um, and yeah, I think I think he'll play Fabinho and Thiago, and then it's, who who's the other one? He might play Harvey Elliott again. Harvey Elliott was playing well before before the the freak injury, um, so he he might be that third one, and I think the the front three will be will be Salah, Mane, and Diaz like it was at the weekend. And I, I suppose as well, there's maybe possibility that they've got a bit of flexibility at centre back as well, um, in, in terms of and especially if we're playing Dan James up front, I suspect they may be happier to to mix up their centre back. I reckon they might put. Uh, Kanate in perhaps he's not played loads but this might be a game to put him in in terms of the overall play style that Liverpool have we know that Liverpool's fullbacks are an attacking threat for them uh, and they generate a lot of um, a lot of upside for for Liverpool through their through their runs Um, obviously you've got um Andy Robertson usually playing as a sort of classic fullback, sort of getting to the byline, crossing the ball in. But you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold's ability to to cut inside and and attack in that way. This raises a couple of standard questions, I think, from opposite directions. The first one is how do we nullify this threat, and the second one is does that threat actually present us with a threat of our own in that they'll be leaving space in behind their fullback? So uh, let's go with the first one. How would you how do we nullify the threat of particularly, I guess, Alexander-Arnold? If we go back to the the Anfield game last season, opening game, I think Harrison did a good job on Alexander-Arnold. Um, and he also, Harrison caused him problems himself. Obviously scored that first goal. Um, but Harrison didn't track him very well in the uh, in the home game that we had. And I 
I think actually is one of the reasons why I might think James on the left because I think Harrison's always been really good in that sort of defensive side of that role. But I actually think James might be a bit better in in that regard. Um, he, it, I think he's a, a pest in a way that Harrison isn't quite the same. Like I think Harrison like diligently does the job, but I think James is quite like. Uh, he has a sort of a bit more of a bullishness about him in the way that he tries to win it. It's not always successful, but I, I think he could unsettle uh, Alexander Arnold a little bit more, uh, perhaps. But I'd be a bit more worried about Robertson because I, I think like Rafinha works harder than a lot of wingers who are as good as he is going forwards, but he's still one of our weaker defensive players, uh, and so he probably will give Robertson a bit of t- of time and space. Do you think there's any chance that we may start similarly to the way we started in the last game? I mean, it could happen. I, it could happen, because knowing what their threat is from their fullbacks. But then I'd be a bit worried that we might be getting into a first half of the season from 2018-19, like Saez situation, where Rafinha becomes our player that we go to in the second half. Um, and then... And Saez was obviously a bit unhappy behind the scenes and so on. And yeah, I don't want that kind of situation. And I think we we need Rafinha in an attacking sense, like so badly that I I just don't think that in the long term, that's what we can do. As a one-off, I'm sort of okay to be like, if that was what you were trying to do tactically. But in the long term, we, we can't go down that road. And then what about the second question about them pushing their fullbacks, giving us space to attack? Yeah, well, I think... If you again go back to the the game that we played against them earlier this season, um, obviously that ended up a convincing win. But we had the first really big chance of the game, um, and that was for Rodrigo after Phillips played a ball over the top where they were pushed up, and Rafinha was in loads of space behind left back, and he got to the byline and cut back, and Rodrigo just shot straight at, at Allison. Um, so if I think there will be space, but it's it's how like how quickly can we get it into that space? Um, like like we did against West Ham. If we can quickly get it there, then then someone like Rod- um, Rafinha can can feast. But I I worry more about us not being able to get the ball quickly there because they they disrupt us getting it there. Yeah, which brings us on to their press. So obviously our build up has looked poor against high presses this season. Do you anticipate this being a problem on Wednesday? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think I think they're one of the most effective teams at, at doing that, and they certainly did it at Ireland Road. I think that was one of the big problems. I guess the result of that, whenever we are put under pressure by high presses, the games become increasingly transitional. And this season, obviously, our games are becoming increasingly transitional. That's a recipe for disaster against a team like Liverpool, isn't it? Or are we back at the, the situation that we've talked about a lot at the beginning of this podcast, which is, well, it's the best chance we have, so you go for it and hope that it comes off for you and not for the opposition? Mm, I, th- I mean, I think in this case, like I do want us to do... I always think back to how we played against Southampton at Ellen Road last season where we basically recognised we're struggling to pass the ball out here. We need to go early to Rafinha and, and Costa uh, and that's how we'll beat their press. So we'll go, we can't get through it, so we'll go over it. And then um, and then we're able to, to get at their back line in an exposed situation. I think that will be the case against Liverpool. I think it's... It, 
that highly likely ends up in a in a win for them. But uh, yeah, maybe I'm going against what I said, like against Man United. Um, but I think what I'd say is I was talking more about it's like 70th minute of the game and now it's like, okay, let's manage this for a bit. But in this case, it is like, yeah, we, we probably do need to hit our wingers and, and see where we can go from there. Yeah, isn't, isn't the problem though this season that we've been trying to do that? I mean, I guess the Everton game strikes me as, as being an example of that where we weren't able to pass out from the back. So we started just trying to hit it long to Rodrigo and Dan James and, and obviously opposition centre-backs are just always going to win those battles in the air. Yeah, well, I think, well, I don't, don't go down the centre, like try to hit the flanks on halfway. And I, but B, don't have the situation where you have, you try to hit the flanks on halfway, but you leave the centre of the pitch like empty. I think you still need to have players in there because if the thing of when you play high and long balls is you do risk easy turnovers so you need to be set up that if we turn the ball over we're able to to get back um yeah I mean any game plan against Liverpool is risky because if you sit back then you invite them to have lots of the ball and lots of shots and eventually you, you might concede or you probably will or you try and play the way where you are a bit more open but you think that you might hit them then you you invite them to get chances and yeah, I mean, I I feel like, like I said, sort of going against what I've said before, but equally, I, I'm not saying like go all out attack here. I'm just saying we have to go over their press, but also let's give ourselves a midfield that can attempt to cope. And one final question just about dealing with Liverpool's front three, namely, how do you do it? Is it just a case of praying to whichever gods you worship? <laughs> to a degree, yeah. So I think I think in the past I might have thought, you know, if, if we press well enough, then perhaps we can deny them getting the ball in, in the way that we want them to. But I don't believe the way that we are currently, we're really able to do that. Um, They will get good situations, uh, the ball in good positions, and it comes down to do our individual defenders have, have good games on the day? Like, can if Junior's marking Salah, can he have one of his better games, not one of his of his bad games and and will Salah have a bad game in front of goal like Mane obviously missed chance after chance after chance before he eventually scored against us last time they need to have chance games like that <laughs> where it's just like it it could hit me on the face two yards away from goal and still miss that's almost what we need so in terms of where the game will be won or lost then you're basically saying that if we're lucky we might be able to sort of game state them yeah, I've, I've, I have to say we we need a good slice of luck here, and I think how effectively they press will will dictate how well we're able to cope. Well, lots to look forward to uh, this Wednesday. <laughs> this Wednesday evening. Sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. Yeah, we will be back on Thursday, I think, with a, a re- review of that game and a preview of the Spurs game at the weekend as well. It's a pretty grim run of fixtures at the moment, but we will be uh, there to cover it for you. One final word just to check out our Patreon feed for various videos that are being put out at the moment. I'm very much on the cusp of having finished my Marcelo Gajardo video as a Bielsa successor, a potential Bielsa successor. Um, we've already got um, Andoni Iraola up there as well. So if those sorts of things are interesting to you, then head over to, to the Patreon. Uh, Josh, are you doing a Patreon video this week? I think I would wait until after Wednesday's game and do a, do a double, I think. 
cool so there's that to look forward to as well but until then enjoy the game and have a great week sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.